Voices, Greg Taylor, Be on the Sacred Page. How many have heard the song Beyond the Sacred Page? Raise your hand. One of you, grand total of one, <laughs> Nova, thank you. And you want to hum a few bars of Beyond the Sacred Page? Beyond the Sacred Page. sacred page is an old hymn that speaks about how the word of God really helps us to experience the spirit of God. And at a time when in our movement, the Church of the Christ movement, there is something called word-only view of the spirit, that somehow the spirit only moves when we're reading the word. But many of us don't believe that anymore. And that hymn has helped some of us to have an imagination. I remember singing it when I was a kid, and then in college. And then it came back to me as we were thinking about, as I was thinking about this class, to allow the spirit to move beyond the sacred page and, and be open to that. And realize that the spirit of God and the word of God can speak beyond the sacred page. But the play on words is to be on the sacred page, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And you'll see as we go through why that play on words is. And if somehow halfway through you're not getting the connection because I'm not making it very well, then raise your hand and ask me to make it a little bit more clear. Well, the church with which I serve is embarking on a journey in scripture. And Last year, a group of Bible study leaders gathered to discuss how do we best make disciples in our church? What's the best way to make disciples? Because in our churches, we have a big problem. That is, how do you best make disciples? And someone might say, well, you just do it like Jesus, right? Um, but what does that mean in our contemporary society? How do we do that? So we got together to ask that question. Well, first of all, they're Bible study leaders, so they're going to naturally think about when we study the Bible. Um, but we got into different groups, and we discussed this question. What is the best way to make disciples with the Bible? And so we already paired that together and said, if we're using the Bible, how do we do that? Do we go to Mardell or Lifeway and, and buy the latest book? What was that book? the latest name? author? Uh, the, first, the name of Oh, I was just gave an examples of bookstores. Okay, but it, what book is it? Mardell. Mardell. And it's just a brand That's of bookstore. That's my sister's name. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no. you, you go to Mardell. Mardell is you know, a great library. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Groups came back from the breakout session, and and talked. And of all the things that all the people said, I only remembered one thing, and it was something that one of the youth. His name is Todd. And Todd had this idea. Along with the, our youth minister, Nate Donnelly, and others, Todd had this idea. What if all of our youth, from the time that they start their youth group experience until they go to graduation, what if they all go through the Bible in our youth class? And we were like, huh. And we said, Todd, Nate, Nate here is our youth minister right here. Raise your hand, Nate. Nate's our youth minister. And we, we said, uh, 
that take? I mean, how many years are you talking about? And I said, well, we're thinking sixth, seventh grade, four, five, four, five years. What? Seriously? You're going to take the youth all the way through in that span of time? I mean, I've never thought four years ahead about anything. <laughs> and now we're expecting the youth minister to think four years ahead? <laughs> but like a flash of inspiration as we talked, it became clear to me and started to become clear, all of the group just started talking about what if our whole church joined the youth? What if we all got on that path together? And over a period of four or five years, we finally went down to four years and decided four years would be a good amount of time. What if we spent four years going through the whole Bible? What would that be like? What could we learn? What if the Bible, what if God's voice is what shows us our next steps of discipleship. What if the best discipleship plan, and believe me, like many of you in your churches, we've thought about discipleship, how to do it, what's the best way to do it. We know Jesus has a master plan, but then there's all these books, there's these organizations you can access here at Pepperdine that will come to your church and consult with you on how to do good discipleship. And believe me, we had looked at all those. But we realize maybe the Bible is the best plan of discipleship. Maybe scripture, God's voice, is the one we should listen to as we make disciples and we are disciples. This thought energized me, got my wheels turning, and has ruined all my other plans. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Todd, that youth leader who had this idea, we started calling him, Todd, his name was Todd Pitts. We started calling it the Todd Pitts plan. The plan to ruin the rest of our next four years and all of our plans. But those plans, those purposes I had were my purposes. I think what Todd's plan represented was God's purpose for us and to discover what that is, and we didn't even know. So after a lot of discussion and thought and prayer, we decided as church leaders, as a church, on several things to do together. This was not just a, a preaching calendar for me. I'm the preacher at the Journey Church in Tulsa. This wasn't just a preaching calendar decision that I made myself, which is kind of common. I, a lot of preachers just decide, this is what I'm going to preach on for the next few weeks, months, years, and that's their decision. But it didn't really enter into the church discussion. But this was a new path. This was going to be all of us deciding together what we're going to do, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to preach, and what you're going to preach and teach in your Bible classes, and what the youth are going to do, and what the children are going to do. And so the big and urgent idea we decided on is to tell God's story in God in our worship gatherings, in our Bible study, in our personal reading, in our family reading, to write a blog. And this was the stupidest thing that I did, was I committed <laughs> to writing against all advice from one of our elders. This is John Dickman. Raise your hand. He's here. Uh, uh, Robert Garland, another elder, they said, are you sure about that? You're going to write a devotional on every chapter of the entire Bible. Do you know how many there are? I said, nah, I'll Google it. <laughs> and I Googled it. And there's, you can Google it. Please Google it if you'd like to. There's a thousand and one hundred and eighty something chapters in the Bible. That's a thousand one hundred and eighty devotionals I committed to write in the next four years. But the reason I did that is because we have camped out in particular, yes sir? Can I correct you? Yes. You did not you accepted the responsibility, but you have encouraged others to join you in that. 
That is right. So you are encouraging, you know, members. You've encouraged other people you know. And there has been some response. In the sense that Tom Sawyer committed to paint the fence white and got his friends to help, yes. <laughs> uh, I have asked for help in that endeavor. And so we decided to read the Bible, write these blogs, preach sermons, have Bible studies on the Bible for four years, on every book of the Bible. And so we started a reading plan for four years. We started a plan to teach Bible studies together on these different Bible books. And um, why four years, though? Why did we <coughs> study four years? Well, four, there's four Gospels. So each year we would study one of the Gospels, an Old Testament text, a New Testament text, and we had a plan. Uh, it would be enough time to read and not rush the words of God and learn from one Gospel each year and cover a set of Old Testament books and a few of the letters of Paul and other writings. The goal is not to get through the Bible. Nor is the goal to get through it in one year. A decidedly rushed approach that many churches, many Christians have taken through the years for teaching or individual readings. And I'll tell a story about that in just a moment. So how do we prepare for something like this? What's the first thing we did? Well, to get below the surface of how we view and approach the Bible, I think it's important to understand that some of the ways that we approach the Bible run counter to what the Bible is trying to do and what the Bible says about itself. The way, for example, we try to go to Genesis to prove up things that we think scientifically when the Bible was written before the scientific revolution. The Bible doesn't prove stuff like that. It, doesn't, it wasn't intended to be written that way. So we often use the Bible as if we're trying to solve a biology question with a math book or with a history book. And so we have to be open again to reading the Bible for itself, for what it says about itself and what it's doing. Um, we have approached the Bible as if it's a manual for living. Do some of you view the Bible as a manual for living? Some of us do. But that's not all the Bible is. Some of us think it's a how-to manual. But for, and for some of us, we already know what the Bible is. Well, and that's not a how-to manual. It's not just approved science. It's a love letter from God, right? I've, I've seen a whole book that says, here's 66 love letters from God, and each one says, this is how it's a love letter. And I think that's a good attempt, saying what the Bible is. But how love letterish is, God was grieved he ever made humans. <laughs> how love letter is, I will spew you out of my mouth. And that's a quote from Genesis in the book from Revelation. <laughs> we decided we cannot reduce the Bible down to a catchphrase. And so in four years, we're going to discover what the Bible is about, discover new paths. In fact, it's a book of books and one huge story to tell that invites us into if we're willing. And so... By the time I get done today, I hope to have kind of a big duh moment that we all have together about what the Bible really is about. But let me tell a couple stories. The first story is about when my parents gave me my first Bible. Now, how many of you remember getting your first Bible? Raise your hand. Remember? Do you remember what it looked like? Do you remember what color it was? Do you remember how it felt? 
remember the onion skin pages that you turned? Do you remember, did you highlight it? Did you write in it? Were you told not to write in it? Well, mine was in 1975, and it was a King James Bible. It was blue, had my name on it. And it was given to me by my mom and dad. And at that time, there's also in our church lobby a little area, kind of like that bulletin board over there, but it was tracks. And some of the younger people don't know what tracks are because you've never seen them. But they're little pamphlets that you tell you you're either going to hell or you know here's how to not go to hell or something like that. And usually that's what they're about. Um, but there was also one that said, okay, read the Bible in a year. And so I, I picked one of those up and, and I thought, okay, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. I was eight. And I had a King James. And on the track rack, my church was telling me, my mom and dad were telling me that this Bible's important. The track rack was telling me I should read the Bible in a year. And I had a King James. And so here I went. We read the Bible, a lot of our churches, a grand total of two minutes for the, quote, scripture reading. And then we tell an eight-year-old to read seven hours a week by himself. Does that make any sense to you? But somehow that's what we were doing. And come on in. Um, you, you come around to this yearly schedule, and we every year, December 31st, we think, okay, I'm going to try again because I failed the year before. And I want to ask you a question. Um, how many of you have tried to read the Bible in a year because you were told there's a track rack or something like that? You tried? How many of you succeeded and you read it in a year? Keep your hand up. Wow, y'all. Impressed with us here. Only one time. Only one time. That's me. One time, many, many fails. Okay, I have a pastor confession. Pastor confession. There's plenty of room in the spit zone right here if anyone wants to come down front. So here's the pastor confession. I have tried reading the Bible in one year, but I have never made it through in one year. I fail at Leviticus every time, somewhere in February. Now, I've read every book of the Bible at different times, studied, but never read it through in a year. And then I got to thinking, who came up with this plan? <laughs> For eight-year-olds with a King James Bible, like me, to read the Bible by myself several hours a week, every day of my life. And if I don't do it, there's a guilt trip coming. And when I failed, I realized that Either I failed or I continue diligently doing it, and when I get finished at the end of the year, I feel good about myself. Who came up with this plan? Well, I continued to fail through the years. And I had a lot of stuff to do as a junior high kid coming home from school. <coughs> I mean, there are a lot of Gilligan's Islands <laughs> episodes to watch. <laughs> Well, I really did, and do, have time to read the Bible that much, and so do you. We all have enough time to read the Bible that much, but is that the point? Is that 
the kind of Bible reading that we're called to do. It would actually only take, according to Audible, if you listen to a, the Bible on Audible, it would take you about 70 hours to read the entire Bible. Or listen to the entire Bible. That doesn't sound like very many hours. About one and a half hours a week. But the point is that the question is, is that what the Bible is intended for? For us to read it by ourselves? Is that the best way to read the Bible? No, but we shouldn't read the Bible by ourselves. Uh, let me point at that story briefly. That I didn't read the Bible as a young man, and I didn't get the point of this story. So if we don't read the Bible, we're not going to get the point of this story. Um, but the methods that we put forward in our churches often lead to that kind of failure. And so when we, we create the kind of environment where people are called to read the Bible by themselves, but we build in a kind of failure and guilt system, we're going to fail over and over to get the point of Scripture. So, second story. Years ago when I was a youth minister, some grade school children and I went to visit Earl. Earl was an old guy who was a member of our church at the time in Houston, where I was a youth minister. After singing a couple of songs to Earl, um, we were sitting in his living room, and there on the stand or on the coffee table was a Bible. And I opened it, I started flipping through it, and there were 18 marks in Earl's Bible. Cash marks. One, two, three, four, slash. One, two, three, four, slash. One, two, three, four, slash. One, two, three, 18. I said, Earl, what are these marks in your Bible? What were you counting? Earl said, well, it's times I've read the Bible. I said, okay, wow. I was astounded 18 times because, you know, I told you about my eight-year-old experience and it didn't get any better after the time I was a youth minister about reading the Bible all the way through. So I was just amazed at this man, Earl. So I said, Earl, tell me. And that was a teachable moment. I was thinking, okay. This is it. These children are here, and now I can take another chance to do something different from when I was an eight-year-old. Here's a man who really did it, a man of faith. And I said, Earl, tell me what you learned. Tell all these kids what you learned from reading the Bible 18 times. And he scratched his head, thought for a minute. And he said, well, it's helped me read better. I'm not the sharpest youth minister in the knife drawer, but I know that's not the answer that I was supposed to get. Um, and this was kind of a softball question. I thought, okay, he whiffed on that, but I'm going to give him another chance. I'm going to kind of throw up the softball again. And so, uh, and I'm all for literacy, but surely there was something better in 18 times. And so I said, what, kind of rephrase it, what's the greatest truth you've ever learned? reading the Bible 18 times. Earl watched the big softball come in and he whiffed again. He, he didn't have really an answer, so I rephrased it again. What, what do you think is the best thing that you've learned from reading the Bible? Now, this was before awareness of serious illnesses like Alzheimer's and dementia, so please don't judge me for making light of a man who might have had dementia. 
But at the time, it seemed like he was lucid. Or was he just with him at these pitches? So last time, I waited, and Earl finally said, to the question, what is the greatest truth you've ever learned from reading the Bible 18 times? Earl said, you never know if you're saved. There it was, the blast of air from strike three, whipping across all of the children in me. And I wanted to get his words back so the children didn't hear it. Mm-hmm. My wife says I often drop my jaw in a dumb fashion when I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> like Del Mar and Oh Brother Where Art Thou? <coughs> when she's going to say close now. Um, and that's my... I was just, that was my stunned look at what he said. So story number two, others read the Bible and don't get the point. Some people don't read the Bible and they're not going to get the point. Other people read the Bible and miss the point. Whiff, whiff, whiff. Why is that? Why and how can we read Scripture and continue to get such reduced points about ourselves and about God and the world, particularly points that might be theologically questionable. I'm not here just to beat up on Earl. I'm here to take a look at ourselves. We're all Earls in some ways when we read Scripture. We're all that eight-year-old boy and girl in some ways when we come to Scripture. A bit confused, a bit failed, and some of us more like Earl. Yeah, we've read it. What's the point? I don't know. So, uh, I asked some of my friends and family what's their first experience with the Bible. And I want to ask you to start thinking about this. I'm going to ask you what your first experience is. I asked you about your Bible, but what were your first experiences with the Bible? So let me read a few of these, and then maybe you can uh, join in to be thinking. A friend from my hometown, Jody Birch, reminded me of patting a tiny Bible in Sunday school and saying, I love my Bible. Remember doing that? Those little Gideon's Bibles in Bible class? A friend from high school said, my mom used to cook a fancy Sunday lunch and my dad would read the Bible. My favorite stories were Noah's Ark and Samson. I use the same illustrated children's Bible now as I teach high school girls. Our worship minister said that after he bought his first study Bible, An important person in his life warned, watch out for those study Bibles where you'll be influenced by the thinking of other (laughs) church doctrines. A youth minister, former youth minister of our church, Deanie Johnson said, as a child, my mother read the Bible to us daily, and we would read all the way through Genesis to Revelation each year. And then she says she continued this habit mostly through her life. And, uh, Our Journey Church Chief Financial Officer, Lisa Combs, said, My family didn't go to church, but I went with friends. When we graduated, the church gave us Bibles, and I got one with my name on it. I guess someone told the church I needed one, too, though I wasn't a member of their church. I didn't read it, not until I was in my 30s. And then I really started taking the Bible seriously. And I had the help of a preacher in San Antonio. A church member, Patty Guerin, said, My father was an alcoholic 
and my mother agitated him when he was drunk. And they argued. And then I'd run and get the Bible and read Psalms, which comforted me. And I'd pray that they would stop arguing. My mom, Charlotte Taylor, she said, it's interesting that my first experience is similar to yours, Greg. One of my first memories is having a dream that Jesus came back and took me about six feet off the ground and then dropped me because I was not good enough. And that breaks my heart. She goes on to say, it happened near the path to the barn at our old Boise City home out in the panhandle of Oklahoma. So for whatever reason, a lot of guilt of sinning took precedence over the joy at that time in my life. I was probably around 10 years old at the time. So it was many years later that I learned to accept the grace and love of God. That's the good news that restores my heart. And maybe that is all part of maturing. Well, about the Bible, Mark Twain said, In the beginning, God made man in his image. And man has been returning the favor ever since. <laughs> After all these stories, my first experience of failure of reading the Bible, guilt in the Bible, Earl, Missing the point, these stories of my mother told and others. What is the point of reading scripture? So, are you ready for the point? Or shall we wait a little bit longer? Yeah. 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 I only have one point. <laughs> Halfway through the class, I got my point. The only thing I'm going to say that, that you're going to remember, okay, of course, maybe the story from some of the so here's the point. <coughs> and this is the duh point. Like, I had to come all the way to California for Pepperdine lectures to Greg Taylor's 8.30 class, get up in the morning for the point. The Bible is about God. The Bible is about God. The Bible you go to Mardale, Lifeway, and the Pepperdine Bookstore, you might not know it. You might not know it from our habits. You might not know it from our track rec. You might not know it for the way we treat eight-year-olds and tell them to go read it. You might not know it from Earl. You might not know it from some of the things that maybe you and I think in our hearts and minds. Because ultimately when we read the Bible, sometimes we think it's about us. Or we think it's about guilt. Or we think it's about the sin of others. Or we think it's about how to make someone else do what we want to do. Or we think it's about politics. Or we think it's about something else besides God. The Bible is not about me and my guilt. The Bible is not about Earl's anxiety about being saved. Incidentally, there's only one scripture I can think of in the Bible, 1 John, that says anything about knowing that we're saved. Maybe you just missed that verse. The question is not about knowing. The question is, do you trust God? Amen. That's what the point of the Bible being about God is. 
do we trust this guy that the Bible is telling us about? And um, do we trust him to save us? Do we trust him to keep us? Do we trust him to lead us? That he judges justly? That we can trust him with our lives? The Bible, contrary to our way of thinking, your way, my way, is really not about us. Well, we know this because the prophet Isaiah said, his ways are not our ways. So I can say with confidence, you, you and I, we think one thing, but God thinks other things. And so we have to constantly be in this conversation with God, and that's what scripture is, is a long, plain conversation between God's people and him. So, Earl's comment, you just don't know if you're saved, is so self-focused and curling back on himself. But that's us too. We're all Earls in some ways. Looking at himself for a source of salvation, whether he did enough or was good enough. My mom's dream, maybe that's some of the down deep in our heart kind of thoughts we have. If I can only do something more for God. I think about Mr. Schindler and Schindler's List whenever he was trying to help the Jews and he was looking and saying this ring I could have sold this ring I could have saved one more and that's often how we live we could do one more thing so that we can be good enough these are emphatically not the questions scripture tries to help us answer in the affirmative if the Bible is about God it reframes our questions to be about God and not us the Bible is about God. So, duh. When you take a church, take a look at the church of what's happening now in your city and what's being preached about, do you find the teaching about God or ourselves? In your church, is the teaching about God or ourselves? Is the are the meetings that you have about God or ourselves? Are the meetings that you have meetings where you open scripture or just open our mouths? Take a look at your daily life and routine, your work and play. What's in it for you and what's in it for God? Have we forgotten this? When we read the Bible, have we forgotten one of the central questions? Who is God? And I want to illustrate this by Genesis chapter 1 through 3. When we read Genesis 1 through 3, tell me a few of the themes that first come to mind or that we've always been taught out of Genesis 1 through 3 about creation, about Adam and Eve. What, what comes to mind in that whole progression of the story from creation to the time of their leaving the garden? starts really well, and then things kind of go downhill, right? Mm -hmm. What else? Any other thoughts from that? Genesis 1, 3? I think the teaching about Eve being the one that was tempted, like maybe Adam wasn't, though, mm -hmm. to make that decision all by herself has led to some of the gender issues in the church. That's true. The, the male, maybe writers, interpreters, preachers have perpetrated an idea that he, 
somehow Eve was responsible for sin because she ate the fruit first. The Bible doesn't even say that. Adam was there, and he also ate the fruit. And so when we don't read Scripture, when we just kind of assume things, then sometimes those wrong views can come out. Well, one of the things I wanted to point about, out about Genesis 1 through 3 is that we might think the story is about animals and creation and the universe and Adam and Eve and, and fruit and was it an apple or was it? And we could talk about minute details for, for hours. <clears throat> but Genesis 1 through 3 is about God speaking the creation into existence. His spirit hovering over the waters. You know how many, how many times God's name is mentioned in those three chapters? 57 times. Eve is mentioned, who we just talked about. She's mentioned once, and then she's mentioned once that at the end of the chapter, or the end of this story, again, <coughs> in terms of the curse, and Adam is mentioned five times. But we tend to think the story is about Adam and Eve. And it's not that just word counts kind of make a point. They don't say everything, but it does say something. That the writer's trying to say something about God. And as Scripture continues on, the writers of Scripture are continuing to try to say something about God, but we keep getting the point that it's about Adam and Eve and about us. And yes, it's God coming into creation, God coming into our worlds, but ultimately it's about him. So I want to call us today to pray, to pray for the desire to read the Bible because the Bible is about God. Pray for yourself because if you're like me and you believe the Bible ultimately is about God. You also may know this intellectually, but you forget it emotionally and spiritually and intellectually every and so if you're like me and you often forget this then it's a daily reminder that we need pray for those in your congregation who think that the Bible is a legal contract pray for people in your congregation pray for yourself who might think that the Bible is just an instruction manual for your life with no reference to God's purposes in the world rather we should Look at and read the Bible to understand God's grand design and purpose for our lives and for the world. We need to pray also for those who ignore it, those who feel like it leaves them as failures or guilt-ridden, those who read it every day like Earl but miss the point, and pray for people like me who failed to read it and feel guilty as a child, as that eight-year-old. Pray for those eight-year-olds in your church. And pray that we can all agree on one thing as we read the Bible, and that is the Bible is about God. So let me stop there. I'm going to have question and answer, and I want to introduce the Journey Church to you because we have a great number of the Journey Church. Half of this room is filled with the Journey Church congregation that came to Pepperdine this year. I'm really proud to have everyone here from our, our church, and we also have uh, some others who have grown up in our church and now live here in California. So uh, raise your hand if you are from originally from Tulsa or from Tulsa now. Raise your hand so everybody else can see. And uh, there's how many, I think a dozen or so of us here from the church. And um, 
Several have come for the first time. And we want to tell you in the remaining time that we have with question and answer about something that our church decided to do about the problem that I have just described. So spent a lot of time telling some stories, describing a problem that maybe has sparked something in your mind that you have in yourself or you have in your church. And then now we're going to describe how one church addressed that problem of discipleship, of reducing the Bible down to uh, maybe something that is not uh, what it really is, but just being open to the fact that it's about God. So let's discover this grand amazing purpose of God and what God wants to say to us to listen to his voice and then make steps and so there's a class this class today and then I have another class tomorrow I don't know if it's in the same classroom but I only have this point and the point tomorrow and they gave me two whole whole hours to make these simple points that if your church is in transition if your church is not in transition but maybe your church has not been really in scripture, maybe has just gotten off the track. There's two things that we are doing and trying to do that I want to suggest for all churches. And that is read the Bible and pray. Today's point is read the Bible. Together. It's about God together. together. Thank you. That's why you came, John, to help you with that point. Read the Bible together. It's about God. Tomorrow's point, I'll wait till tomorrow, but it's, it's fairly complicated uh, moment kind of point as well tomorrow but that's something that I remember my friend John Ogren he said you know what you can't get in trouble in your church reading the Bible more <laughs> and so I started thinking about how much we do or don't read the Bible in church and some of our liturgies and by that I mean whatever it is that you do for your Sunday service and uh, a general way that your church operates with songs and worship and readings. Our Church of Christ liturgy has ber been bereft of reading the Bible. We have a scripture reading. It might be one or two verses. So as I referenced a few minutes ago, we spend only a few seconds or minutes reading the Bible together. In our Bible studies, we spend a lot of time with prayer requests, and I'm not downing prayer requests, but we tell all the details of the treatments, of the aunts and uncles, of the neighbors, which is, again, that sounds like I'm not being compassionate, but we can do that in 10 seconds without going into five minutes of details. And we can pray very meaningfully for each other without spending 20 minutes on donuts and prayer, prayer requests. And then the rest of the time, we're giving our opinions about something that we didn't read. Yes. So well, you alluded earlier how um, you know you can engage the intellect and lose the heart. And, uh, I think in our fellowship, a lot of our reading of scripture, you know, and corporate reading of scripture has been about intellect. So if you can do a Bible study, get it right, mm -hmm. interpret the text right, but it has to be more than that. Mm. So in your in your church, in this process, what have you done so as a church together, so that to ensure that when we're reading together, it's not just an intellectual exercise, mm -hmm. but 
you know, of formation of discipleship? Yeah, that's a good, that's a very good question. And that's the next step of, if we're going to read the Bible because it's about God, we're going to read it together. We ultimately believe what Eugene Peterson says, that the Bible is to be lived. Mm-hmm. And so, how do we then live it? But when we go to it, and that's our first question, is what can I get from me in my life to make my life more spicy and I can solve all my problems, then we're not paying attention to what Scripture's saying about his purposes and his story. So when we go into Scripture, we start there. It's about God. We do that together in community, and then we ask the question, what do we do with this? How do we live it? And so that's, that's kind of the progression. Were there other questions before we kind of get into having some of the journey folks talk? I would like to add one thing. I think that thing that we can't, that I, I totally would feel that we can, is that we've started talking a lot about how we take this knowledge and we set that aside and really start to trust God to guide and direct John, why don't you go ahead and tell us about that? We we continued some Bible study communities that we already had on Sunday mornings, but we focused them on Scripture. We're not going to buy the latest book from the bookstore. We're going to stay in the Scripture books. We we use commentaries and things like that, but tell us about your men's class. Want me to go all the way back or just go right now? Well, just give just give a real brief one minute kind of what's going on. What is your men's group doing? Well, what we do, and it's been interesting to watch the evolution. Started out there were three of us leading or co-leading, and now we have a man who's very quiet in the congregation who writes our discussion questions every week, which we never get through half of them, but he writes them. He's stepping up now to even kind of lead a more active role in leading the discussion. And it happened quite organically with one of the other leaders saying to him one Sunday, why don't you lead the discussion more? You're the author of the questions. And he stepped up. But no forewarning, so there was no fear or planning on his part. It just happened. of a man, because what do we have at the Last Supper? The image of people gathering around the table. We have a man who loves to cook. So about once a month or every six weeks, he sends out a text and says, on this Saturday, or whatever day, I'll be cooking at my house. You're all welcome to come and we sit in his garage (laughs) and we talk about life. And sometimes... There's some tough struggles that people are going through, but we talk about it and we're trying to think about what would Scripture have? And sometimes the best thing we can do is love them. We can put our arms around them and love them. There isn't an answer. It's relational. It is relationship. So a man has stepped up. He does that. And really those of us that have started out really being (laughs) the leader... Now we're kind of just members of the class, and it's been interesting to watch 
how God's worked through that process. Mm -hmm. And not every class works that way, mm -hmm. but it's how, it, it, there's not a design for the class. There's not, other than the Bible, and the, the assigned reading for that week, that's the, that's the curriculum, if you will, but there's not a written curriculum. We ha Thank you, John. What we have is an old school method of Bible reading with a new school understanding that we're open to what God says. Yep. Instead of coming to scripture with a particular hermeneutic or a particular way, we're going to try to find our answers that we already have in these scriptures and proof text and just find the scriptures that say what we want them to say. And so that's why the four years, that's why the path through the Bible, in a way, it's old school. We're, we're reading scripture. I had a teacher in seminary, Rick Oster, who one day I came to his Bible class without a Bible. <laughs> Called on me to read. And he, I mean, I'm in a graduate school Bible class. And <laughs> Greg, you want to read? And I said I didn't have my Bible. And he said, well, it is a Bible class. John, would you like to read? And, you know, so, kind of a, that's kind of the way Rick talks to Wes, but yeah. made a point. So, in these Bible studies, what we've been encouraging Nate, John, with the men's group, with each one of the Bible study groups, with the children, read the Bible. After all, it is a Bible study. Mm -hmm. And so, in your time, don't fail to read the Bible. And so, today, I'm thinking... Here we are talking about at the Pepperdine Lectures. It's called the Bible Lectures. How many of your classes that you've gone to, have they read the Bible? Have we read the Bible here yet? We often can make it through an entire hour. We don't even, Christine Kane joked about that. You know, she opened her Bible so you won't tweet that I didn't yeah. even open my Bible. So we're, we need to open the Bible, actually read whole chapters. We're doing some of that in our worship. Nate, tell us a little bit about what youth ministry is. Yeah, um, kind of go on your question also. Um, I know for us, uh, typical youth class, you kind of, the youth minister gets up and you have your whole lesson planned out and you're ready to go. Um, and there's not really like a discussion. Well, I've gone more discussion oriented where there have been times where um, I'm like, all right, we're going to read this. And then I'll have all these questions that I think are great and all that. And then all of a sudden, one of the youth will ask a question. I'm like, well, Throw those out the window, and we're off on something else that the Holy Spirit has put on them. I truly believe, and it's better for the class than me trying to like answer the question. And we're getting back on track because I had this all planned out. But having them really have that voice, um, I think, has been super powerful for our youth. Um, and they've also now like stepped up into leading um, an intergenerational event on Sunday nights where they lead worship and, and teach. And just how that community and that culture of giving them the opportunity to, to ask hard questions, questions I don't know answers to, I don't have answers to, um, but when we get into the text, we can kind of start hashing it out more instead of me just, this is what you guys need to believe because I'm the youth minister. Um, but really figuring it out like together. And sometimes it throws me for a loop and I'm just kind of like, well, I I really thought about that before, so I guess we're on to something else, but it's just been a cool experience seeing that. Great. Thank you, Nate. And another thing that we've been doing now, this four-year plan comes in play with Bible studies. It comes into our sermons. We preach on texts through the Bible. 
and then also we read the Bible as families, our staff. One day I was at a printing press getting some cards for a church, and the printer guy said, yeah, our staff reads the Bible on a regular basis, and we just get together and read, and I thought, dang, we're a church staff, and we don't read the Bible, and a printer is reading the Bible, and that's not right. And so I came back that day and I said, okay, guys, we got to start reading the Bible. <laughs> and so from that day on, we've been trying to read the Bible. And in our Bible plan for four years, we started in Genesis and Matthew. And then we went to, uh, what's the next book? Exodus. And when we got to Leviticus, all of a sudden we stopped for two weeks. Because reading Leviticus is hard. We realized that we need to read, we need to read Leviticus as well. After all, Leviticus 18 is where Jesus got that bit about loving your neighbor. He didn't make it up. He got it from Leviticus 18. You don't read the Bible, you don't know that stuff. You just think the Bible, we have distortions of the way we think about Jesus, about the Bible, about who he is, and where he got stuff. But when you're reading along, you go, I can't believe that that's in Leviticus. You mean God thought of that way back then? I thought it was just about wars and violence and, and weird sacrifices. No, he wanted you to love your neighbor. He wanted you to love the immigrant. It's also in chapter 18. You got to read it. So in our staff, Lisa, uh, tell us about what we do on staff and how neighbors sometimes come in. Well, we're in a unique situation because we're in a regional space. And so our goal was that we wanted to be welcoming. Anybody could walk in at any time, grab a cup of coffee or whatever. And we sit and read the Bible right in the front. And anyone, we invite the person to read the Bible with us. He never has. We ask him if he has prayer requests. He never has. But I guarantee one day something in his life will happen and he'll say, hey, you know what? I'm going to, when I take the mail, I'm going to ask him to pray for me. And I, I think that, I mean, we call it the Bible plan, but it's God's plan, and it's not Doug's plan, mm -hmm. and, that, and it's not Nate's plan in class. It's what, it's letting the Holy Spirit lead us, and that same thing happens with us as a staff. When we're reading the Bible and we get to those hard places, we can talk through that, and we all have different opinions, and, and, and that's fine, you know, but it's God's plan. I think that's the, my favorite part, that it's not yeah. our, our agenda. Yeah. And the other day we were reading Romans 13. And you, if you know Romans 13, it's about follow what the government says and all that. And some of us, I, I just said, I don't agree with that. <laughs> so sometimes we just say, I don't like it. And, and we don't have to start making it say what we want to say. I just, man, I don't like that. I don't agree with it. And I need to understand when is a time to not agree with government and we can seek justice in different ways. And so that's what the kind of the kind of conversations that reading the Bible opens up. Niasha, did you have anything to add to with the church staff or anything like that? It's okay if you don't, but I just wanted to give you a chance. It's okay. <laughs> How about children? Uh, Barty, did you want to say anything about the children? Uh -huh. Sorry, real quick. David. Well, I, I like have a schedule of what they read every week, and then there's just a few questions to get people thinking, and not as a 
you know, we're going to come and I'm going to give you the lesson and the points, but as each individual is reading it, what is, what is God saying to me this week about it? What is the Spirit saying to me? And then being able to get together and share that, I think it's a, it's a neat concept because for too long, I think we came on Sundays and listened to the teacher tell us what we needed to know. And this is everybody participating in learning all week long and then sharing that with each other when, when you get together. And I think that's a neat, neat thing. And the questions are just, it's not stuck on those. That's just an idea to get people going, especially mm -hmm. when you're starting something new. Yeah. Thanks, David. Yeah, and, and this was handed to me by John. This gives you a little taste of what the, the schedule looks like. There's a, a weekly schedule. So we just have, for example, five chapters a week to read rather than five a day. So it's a pace that you can actually read it and let it digest and talk about it in, in our classes, in our sermons, in our families, in our staffs, wherever you want to read. And then there's a daily blog. Yep. So I'll save this for last because you can read it for yourself. But if you go to our website and then you go to this, if you want to type in all of this, uh, this will show our reading plan. It'll show going through the end of this year. We're happy for you to join us. Use the ideas if you want. We call it the Journey Bible Project. There is a Bible project based out of Oregon. They have a lot of cool resources, and we asked permission, could we use their name and a lot of their resources? And they said, that's what we're doing this for. So, yes. So we kind of branded it the Journey Bible Project, which includes the readings, the blogs, the preaching, the teaching. And we're inviting you, inviting your church, into the whole adventure of reading Scripture and hearing the voice of God. Barty, did you have anything to add about the children? Yes, we have, we are uh, the elementary age kids, we're just following the, um, telling that story curriculum, which allows our kids to open the Bible and actually reading. It is very, it's been, it's been challenging because elementary kids sometimes they just don't want to read, they just want to listen to stories, but we have great volunteers that have been have been working really hard and encouraging that to open the Bible, to read it, and just do it, and we do have, like Nate said, some really great questions come out of these kids' minds, and sometimes our volunteers and myself, we don't have an answer for it. It's like, and that's a moment that, that you're like, oh my goodness, how do, do I answer this? And you just pray right there. It's like, oh God, please help me come up with some answer that will, you know, make sense to the child mm -hmm. because we don't want them to be left like, you know, there's mm -hmm. not an answer, but a lot of times we're tell them. I don't know that this is the correct answer. I don't know that this, that, I don't know the topic. I don't know the answer. And that's okay. It's okay no, not yes, to have the answer. Yes. And sometimes the kids give us the, the answers. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's, yeah, it is challenging, but it is, it's been a very good 
work in transition mm. because it's been a transition mm. for all of us to be able to cope with the whole story and the whole church is mm. something that the whole church is doing together. So yeah. right. Thank you, Barty. So if you go to this, you're going to see that one point again. God changes lives. When we read the scriptures one chapter at a time. The Bible's about God, and God will change. We, we believe we're reading the Bible because he's changing our lives one day, one chapter at a time. And so we're committed to do this, and we're calling other churches to do it with us in whatever way you want. But this will have a lot of details about that plan. You can adjust it for yourselves. I do want to give uh, a book that John has in his hands to somebody who can tell me one scripture that I'm getting ready to read that speaks about scripture itself. There are very, very, very few scriptures that talk about scripture itself. Can anybody name one of those? And I'm going to read it as we close. Yes? I don't think this is what you're looking for, but who thinks that you, uh, reading the scripture you have life in them, but you refuse to come to me? Oh, yes, that's from John. That's actually from John, and that's that's good. Not one I was going to read, but give that to her anyway, because that's really good. Because that's what Scripture's doing. It's pointing us to God, right? The scripture's about God. And so this is the one I was going to read, but thank you. I love that. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16. All Scripture is God-breathed, the first the first image of the Spirit of God, and this whole lectureship is about the Spirit. All Scripture is God's Spirit-inspired and useful, and useful, and useful, and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in what it means to be a disciple. And that's why we've chosen to use Scripture for discipleship, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. Let's pray as we close. Lord, we can do it after the prayer. Lord, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son who died for us. Thank you for being our good father. And thank you for giving us your word that is about you and how we come into your grand purposes. And thank you for each one of our churches and help us to live out your word. We pray through Jesus' name.